The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the second Doctor story, The Invasion. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Uh, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. You can retweet us on X at SQPN. Uh, leave us comments wherever you find us on social media. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network I'm certain you will enjoy. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait. You said you, should, you can retweet us on X. Shouldn't that be re-X us on X? You know, I don't know what we're supposed to call the that new social network anymore because the, the, you also go to Twitter.com to go to X uh, these days, as well as X.com. So it's, goodness instead knows. of the artist formerly known as Prince, the uh, <laughs> social network formerly known as Twitter, is that what we should yes. just call it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, the, if, if only there was some other show on SQPN I could really enjoy. <laughs> well, let me tell you about another show on the, on the StarQuest Network you are certain to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Wars, which you can find at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Yes, you know what our address is. All right. So this time we are talking about the second Doctor story, The Invasion. And as usual, I'll turn it to Jimmy uh, to give us a recap. This week, the second Doctor, Jamie and Zoe find themselves near our sister planet, the moon, in the 20th century. But someone on the dark side shoots a missile at them, forcing to make an emergency landing on Earth. There, they discover that an electronics megacorporation run by a man named Tobias Vaughn is up to no good. They also meet the apparently newly formed unit, headed by now Brigadier General Lethbridge Stewart. Uh, They also need help in repairing some circuits that were damaged in the TARDIS's emergency landing, so they go to meet a guy named Professor Watkins, but he's disappeared. His photographer niece, Isabel, says that he's vanished while working for a mysterious electronics corporation. It turns out that Tobias Vaughn, the head of the company, is in league with the Cybermen, who were the mysterious party that shot at the Doctor from the dark side of the moon. And Vaughn is helping them execute an invasion of Earth that he's been working on with them for five years. Vaughn knows better than to trust the Cybermen, so he plans to bend them to his will and rule the world himself. To do that, he's been forcing Professor Watkins to build a machine for him that will inflict destructive emotions on the Cybermen and cause them to malfunction and die. But Vaughn also wants an insurance policy in case that doesn't work, so when he learns about the TARDIS, he wants to force the Doctor to give it to him. The cyber invasion begins with a ground attack by Cybermen already on Earth, with a cyber invasion fleet about to land from space, and with a cyber mothership broadcasting signals that put almost all humans under cyber control due to chips that the electronics company has made. The Doctor and Unit then begin a multi-pronged response to this invasion, and they start winning. But it turns out that the Cybermen have their own insurance policy in case of things going wrong. They announce that they will launch a bomb that will destroy all life on Earth. With his cherished beloved invasion failing, the megalomaniacal Vaughn switches sides and now 
uh, it, in particular because he now hates the Cybermen for destroying his dream of world conquest. But he's soon killed by his former allies. The situation comes down to a last frantic attempt to destroy the cyber bomb before it can strike Earth, which an anti-missile battery in England manages to do. And also, it comes down to the destruction of the cyber spaceship that's transmitting the cyber control signals affecting all the humans, which a Russian missile manages to do in. With everything set to rights, the Doctor and uh, gets the new TARDIS circuits, and he, Jamie, and Zoe take off for further adventures. The end. <laughs> the end. Uh, Father Corey, your overall impression of this one? Well, I really enjoyed this one. It's you know, it's a good story. I mean, it, it's an eight part story, and it is a. I, I felt a little bit long, but there's still a lot. As Jimmy, you can tell from Jimmy's summary, there was a lot going on. Uh, three quarters of this story exist. You know, we have the actual original video, and so to get to see the second Doctor. In action, in, you know, as you know, as he, as it was recorded and everything, is fantastic. Uh, it's just it is a really good, really good story, and I really enjoyed it. You know, for for classic Who, it moves pretty well and everything. Even again, being eight parts, so it's a it's a. I really enjoyed watching it. Good, uh, uh, Jimmy. I agree. Um, it is eight parts. It's the only eight parter in the history of Doctor Who. And although there are longer stories, this one moved pretty well. It could have been trimmed a little, maybe down to six or seven episodes, but it doesn't feel like it's eight episodes long. It feels like it moves quite quickly. Um, there's a lot of complexity going on here. The I, I have some particular things that I like about this um, that I'll get to, but this was essentially a trial run for the third Doctor's time. We only have four second Doctor stories left after this, and they were trying to figure out what can we do with the show that would save money. And uh, and allow it to go forward. And their their decision was, well, if we set a lot more stories on Earth, then we wouldn't have to build all these expensive alien sets and alien as many alien costumes and things. And so we could do a lot more location shooting. We could go to a lot more rock quarries in England <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and save money. And so this was essentially a trial for could we do a big, compelling story set on Earth with Unit as the Doctor's newly created allies, because, of course, he's going to need allies if he's on Earth. And um, and even though they meant it to be a cost-saving measure, this ended up being the most expensive Doctor Who story for a long time. Uh, because in part because they expanded it it was originally planned to be six episodes but another mm. story called the dream spinner fell through um the dream spinner was about an individual who could make people believe that their dreams were real and that script ended mm. up not working out so they had to expand this one to eight episodes to fill the schedule and um i guess maybe one of the other stories also got an extra couple of episodes and that additional filming helped make it more expensive. So it, it didn't, they didn't end up saving costs here, but they did manage to prove that earth-based unit stories could work. And so we got the third doctor's time, his first couple of seasons basically being mm -hmm. almost exclusively earth, earth-based until he gets the TARDIS control back um and uh and and I enjoyed it. In fact, I have to say 
I enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoy a lot of third doctor stories. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, the brigadier in this is just so different than he is in the third doctor's time. He is cordial. He is helpful. He trusts the third doctor and he's reasonable. You know, he's just a, almost completely different character, um, certainly in his attitude. And I really like this version of the Brigadier. He is not <clears throat> he is not cold and shouty and constantly exasperated the way he is in the third Doctor's time. Um, and partly that may be because of the differences between the second and the third Doctor. The second mm-hmm. Doctor is much nicer to the yeah. Brigadier than the third Doctor is. Like, there's one point where, um, you know, the Doctor has been separated from Jamie and Zoe, and he has a task he needs to attend to. Jamie and Zoe are in danger, and the Doctor very kindly says to the Brigadier, I'm afraid I'll have to leave my three friends. There's also a girl named Isabel that I mentioned Mm -hmm. who's kind of a temporary companion. And the Doctor says, I'm afraid I'll have to leave my three friends in your very capable hands. And he's, he's not constantly running the Brigadier and humanity down the way the third mm-hmm. doctor does. And so it's like, wow, I would too bad. They didn't have Patrick Troughton for the third doctor. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and you know, I think though, I think you're, you're get a point there though, where it's the difference between the, the personalities of the doctor. Um, the brigadiers around the doctor a lot more mm-hmm. with the third doctor. And you could, you could very easily understand why he would get exasperated with this character that, you know, at this point is only this is only their second encounter. And, you know, he learned to trust the doctor in his second encounter and he trusts the doctor and, you know, in the third doctor's time as well. But the the personality conflicts, as as he said, the third doctor is is much more prickly. He's much more full of himself. Mm. So, yeah, it'd be easy for someone like the brigadier to kind to get exasperated and to get a bit more shouty with somebody like that. So Mm -hmm. it's understandable. Yeah, we just talked about the uh, the fifth doc, the five doctors, uh, where the second doctor and the brigadier were teamed up again after all those years, yep. a couple, yeah. a decade and a half after this, uh, and uh, it was really nice to like to to look at that and go, hey, you know, that was actually what they were like when they were first together in in this this adventure. Yeah, this the brigadier warms up again in the mm-hmm. five doctors when he when he's paired with the second doctor again. Yeah, he's also, he's also retired then, so that that yeah. generally tends to help. <laughs> um, and there 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 are a couple. We'll we'll talk about them, but there are a couple of very famous scenes in this yeah. this episode that that survived through the history of Doctor Who that people know mm-hmm. well. So, so I I would also guess that the uh, the the extra episodes from the the non existent Dream Spinner probably went to War Games, which is a few stories after this, which was a what 10, 12 parter. It was it was it was, really a, it was a ten parter. I think they may have gone to a different serial, though. I, at least that's oh, okay. what I've read. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'll get my overall impression. Um, first time watching this, really enjoyed it. It was a complex plot. Interesting, you know, the villains who are not trusting each other and betraying each other and, um, you know, uh, curse your inevitable <laughs> betrayal. Inevitable <laughs> to quote betrayal. Firefighter. <laughs> curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Yep. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite Firefly quotes of all time. And uh, so the... Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really liked the the doctor in this. Um, the Zoe, it just continues to be a fun companion. Uh, I really yeah. enjoy her interaction with the doctor, with other people, with with Jamie, um, and how she. It's so mm-hmm. interesting how to contrast her with Adric, who is also mm-hmm. a you know a wonderkind, mm-hmm. and how 
everybody kind of loves Zoe, mm-hmm. but they hated Dadrick. And it's not, I don't think it's just because Zoe was cute. I think it's also just the personality was better. Well, yeah. she, she's much less uh, betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she she doesn't she's not a traitor. She doesn't trait nearly as much as Adric did. <laughs> but and the fact she's cute and looks great in a sequined cat suit doesn't hurt. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it's all it's really it really does come down to her personality. Yeah. She's bright and bubbly and she's got a little bit of an ego, but not 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 the way Adric no. did. No. So uh, I I did and I did love the re- this return the second appearance of the unit brigadier well it's really the first time with the, with the unit but the brigadier mm-hmm. we get Benton who is corporal later sergeant we get his introduction uh, we get um, Turner Captain Jimmy Turner in, instead of Cap- later Captain Mike Yates mm-hmm. um, maybe the actor wasn't available to come back or something like that but uh, it was interesting to see uh, the. The Brigadier was much more casual with Turner, calling him Jimmy all the time mm-hmm. than he is with Yates. Um, so Captain was, Yates. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's it's a very different dynamic between them. It's interesting. Like you said, the, the Brigadier was different. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was going to say, like, what, what do we think of the Brigadier and Ben? Jimmy, you gave your impression of the Brigadier's differences here. But uh, the Brigadier and Ben feels a little different, too. He's much more, I'm, you know, soldier by the book and less... Mm-hmm personality individual personality coming well, out in this and he's he's junior enlisted at least what in the united united states military would call junior enlisted as a corporal yeah. versus you know as a sergeant that's you know non-commissioned officer that's a little bit you know a little more you know a little more experience a little more uh authority you know and so it, you know, again it's, it's you know ha, ha, you know again having served you know you could kind of see that in the real military that as they go up the ranks they either become more you know, strict military or become more relaxed like this, more casual, and especially working with closely with the brigadier for as many years as Benton ends up doing. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's with unit for uh, the whole time through this up to the fourth doctor's era, and even in, right. into the fifth doctor, I think. I can't remember. But. Also, the actor who played uh, ben, who played Benton, John Levine, he basically got thrown into this role last minute. And mm. so he's coming to grips with this part as he's playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they had hired an- another guy to be Benton, but the other guy was unprofessional and wouldn't show up for work on time and <laughs> got fired really fast. And they needed a replacement Benton. And John Levine was a guy who previously was played extras and monsters on the show. Mm, mm. But he got along well with Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines. In fact, um, the producer recalled him once dressed up in a Yeti uniform. He played one of the Yetis <laughs> doing a dance to entertain <laughs> to entertain Troughton and, and Hines. And so they said, uh, John, uh, we fired the other guy. You want to be Benton? And he said, okay. And it turned into a regular gig for him. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, so the the you mentioned that, the, Father Corey, you mentioned that a couple of these episodes don't exist in the film format anymore. Right. Episodes one and four are reconstructed in animation. That's what I watched on BritBox mm-hmm. was the yep. reconstruction. Um, and, you know, I... I don't think it took away from anything. I think it's interesting to watch the first episode in animation and then switch to live action and to see the differences. They do change some things clearly mm-hmm. yeah. uh, when it's animated. I, I, th- I think that's interesting. 
one of the things that I thought was more effective in the animated form is the goons that do mm-hmm. security for the electronics corporation. Mm. They look so much more sinister mm-hmm. in in animation. They're they they look like the term they look like the the second Terminator. You know, right. From, right. They've they've got the the helmet on. They've got the dark glasses, which are just jet black. They're wearing jet black uniforms. You can't see. They look physically more intimidating. They're right. they're scarier and more sinister in the animation. There's also a joke because, of course, the animation was done after the invention of New Who. One of the things that um, one of the character quirks of Isabel, the, uh, Professor Walters's um, niece, who is mm-hmm. an aspiring photographer, is that she doesn't write any notes on paper. She writes on the wall <laughs> because you can't lose a wall. And, <laughs> and, and so, um, so, but, but if you look carefully, so they're, they're periodically going to her wall to lo- like find a phone number or find a note that, that mm-hmm. she and Zoe left for them. And if you look carefully, bad wolf is on the wall. Oh, oh nice. I missed that. That's great. I didn't see that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know, yeah, she, she comes across as kind of vapid, Especially mm-hmm. in the beginning, she's kind of like an airhead a bit. Um, she does redeem herself a bit. By yeah, the she end, kind of but... filled. Fill, they've kind of filled her character in, but yeah, actually, it's it's funny. Is there's a lot of there are a lot of things I kind of noticed that were foreshadowing real life in this episode. You know, technology wise and things like that. I mean, they actually, mm-hmm. for being you know written and and created when it was, it foreshadowed a lot of stuff that we have today. It really predicted a lot mm-hmm. of things. But one of the things it predicted was selfies. Mm-hmm. Because yes. <laughs> you know she's an inspiring, uh, she's a model, and now she wants to be a uh, photographer, and she uses the automatic timer feature on her camera to do selfies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so the selfies. Yeah, I noticed that too. And and this was set slightly in the future, you know, yes. for uh, from the time of broadcast. And you can actually, you can even calculate this should have been like 1974 because it's set mm-hmm. four years after um after the second yeti appearance yep. the the underground yeah. the the web, web of fear of, web yeah of fear. and and it's there's some interesting parallels between this and the web of fear because the web of fear involves the london underground or subway where the yetis are are lurking about and attacking and in this we have the london sewers Mm-hmm. Where the Cybermen are lurking about and attacking people, so there's a kind of parallel there. And then Unit is an amped up version of the army that was in right. the Web of Fear. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually in, it planned to have the Isabel character reappear in the Third Doctor's time, uh, so she might have been a Third Doctor companion or something. But mm-hmm. the actress apparently wasn't available or something like that. Right? Yeah, according to Tardis Wiki, they say it's. Uh, so this came out in 1968. Uh, they say it's either 1973 or 1979 because of the unit dating issue, I think, or something like that. It, it yeah, it's a little more than that, but yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, interesting to think about you oh. know, how they they're predicting the future there. Yeah, mm-hmm. they also showed uh, video conferencing as being a regular yep. thing in this. Mm. Because yes. they they have when we're at the the name of the corporation is International Electromatics Electromatics and yeah. uh, we could just call them I don't know Apple 
or yeah. Yeah. IBM or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll see Tobias Vaughn talking to his assistant, uh, Packer, who he just constantly blames for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Packer's but, very uh, 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 loyal. What is it? Uh, disloyal or yeah, disobedient or uh, what, what's the term for when uh, when a soldier disrespects Incom- a superior? Oh, you insubordinate. Insubordinate. Yes, that's yep. what I was trying to get the word. He is. Yeah. He is. He would be insubordinate if he was in the military, but he's right. just giving Vaughn business advice, which actually yeah. frequently is better than what Vaughn does. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But Vaughn just and he's like head of security, so he's mm-hmm. a thug at heart. But he's he's got more horse sense than than Vaughn does and Vaughn is constantly blame, blaming him for things going wrong and accusing him of incompetence Packer! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yelling at it all the time but we see him talking to Packer over a video phone in his office mm-hmm. and yep. this is you could think this is just um, this is just a closed circuit you know they're at the at the electronics plant but no it's not because mm-hmm. the brigadier's boss in unit is um is a general oh, he's, the, he's like the, the minist- british yeah defense yeah. minister yeah the the yeah. british defense minister who is himself a general and um and the brigadier ends up having to go around him to appeal to unit headquarters in geneva mm-hmm. but at one point tobias vaughn um calls the British defense minister on the video phone so this right. is this is established technology this is not just a closed circuit thing at the plant yeah. Well, there's right. also um, encryption. You know, they, they call it, you know, priority scramble. Mm-hmm. They call it scrambling. But that's encryption. You know, and that we, of course, we use today a lot of your your web. When you go on the web, a lot of what you do is encrypted as it goes from your computer. And, yep. you, you know, your video chat and stuff like that, a lot of that's encrypted. And, of course, military has much higher levels of encryption. But so that that's, you know, and that's something people wouldn't have really known about is encrypting data yeah. to for communication. So that was scrambling. They call well. it a lot of yep. sometimes. Yeah. Ma- so, it's major general Rutledge is the defense yeah. minister. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Also, I wanted to comment on Tobias Vaughn himself um, because he has, he, he's an interesting character. Um, he fits a kind of villain mold that I've seen elsewhere in British television, where you have this suave, sophisticated villain who is just, cold but very nice and very accommodating and <laughs> and Tobias Vaughn has a squint eye with one of his eyes mm-hmm. but he's so urbane and sophisticated and polite to the doctor and when the doctor says I want to do this oh but of course you shall and yes. you know this kind of stuff and and the doctor detects that something's wrong with him though cuz he doesn't blink enough mm. which could be because he's under cyber control, but he's not mm-hmm. because he regularly asserts his independence of the Cybermen and he shifts when he gets pushed into a position he doesn't like. He gets assertive and yeah. even angry and he starts shouting at the top of his lungs, including at Packer repeatedly yep. and um, and wow is um it, he's showing some range as an actor <laughs> yeah. the actor the yeah. actor who plays him kevin stoney yeah. um he 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 really does most of the time he spends in the urbane sophisticate ever so polite squint-eyed villain mode only to start screaming at the top of his lungs and mm-hmm. 
And so he kind of alternates between those two things. Well, it's very it's much like a Bond that, villain. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, like that he was, you know, thinking he might be under cyber control and the, for the blinking. And, and actually the line goes by really quick, but it, he says, my body is cybernetic, but my mind is human. Yeah, or I think it's my body may be cybernetic, but my mind is human. He says, yeah, he says that yeah. as at a point where the Cybermen are like, okay, we want to put you under cyber control now, or we're going to put you under cyber control. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. uh, my body may be cybernetic, but my mind remains human. If you want to change that, our partnership is at an end. Right, and he right. repeatedly threatens to end their partnership and, so I, and bullies the Cybermen into yeah. going along with him. But there is this moment where I forget who it is. Someone pulls a gun on him. Watkins, he gives Watkins a gun and tells right. him to shoot him and if Watkins, he wants to get out yeah, of Yeah, and yeah. Watkins does. And he yeah. repeatedly shoots Vaughn in the chest. And Vaughn yeah. just laughs it off. So apparently he does have a cyber body. Right. Yeah. And I, I wish they would have developed that further. I mean, they, obviously they show it in that scene and he, he, they have that line, but I wish they would have even just given an explanation why his body was cybernetic. Yeah. You know, yeah. what had happened? You know, was there an accident? Was there, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but but still just the fact that they put that out there and they and again, it wasn't just that line. They actually showed the fact mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, his body is impervious to bullets because it's not a human body. Which is weird because he I, I, I think now here. OK, here's what I would do as a writer if they want to keep this element, which they really don't need. Um, but if they want to keep this element of him having the cyber cybernetic body, I mean, they don't need it for plot reasons. Um, I would have it turn out that he made the cybernetic body himself because mm. he is an electronics manufacturer. And this body he's got looks human. It doesn't look like a Cyberman body. Right. So I would, I mean, maybe he got, maybe this is the start of the alliance with the Cyberman. Maybe he got some technology from them that he then adapted into making his own cyber body. Um, but it's clearly not standard off the rack Cyberman issue cyber body. And that itself is a big clue. The Cybermen didn't make it because they don't do custom tailoring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, a, there's an interesting parallel between this story and the new Who two-parter, um, Rise of the Cybermen, mm-hmm. Age of Steel, in mm-hmm. the 10th Doctor time. I yeah. mean, you have a, a big corporation. They have technology that will cyberize, take control of people so they can be converted. Uh, it's, all, it's all very similar, although in that one, it takes place on another Earth in another universe and that sort yep. of thing but still I, I it's fascinating to me that they went back basically mm-hmm. went back and redid this story in new who you even have a, a parallel businessman in that who has a dying body mm-hmm. that, right um that uh is the equivalent of tobias vaughn although in that one there are no off-world cybermen that come into the plot right but incidentally i've never been a fan of that two-parter for some no. reason no uh it has its yeah it has its issues um so let's see. Um, the doctor apparently hates computers very much, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of fascinating you know, because, again, 1968, computers were very specialized. They weren't like what today, well, the com- computers would be running everything on the TARDIS. You know, that I mean, it would be a, right, a, yeah. ver- a, ver- a version of technology called a computer. Uh, but then it would take the computers were a very specific thing. And I just think it's kind of funny how the doctor is kind of a Luddite in that sense. At least the second doctor is, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, new, new, new face, new tastes. 
Um, the, uh, I, I like though, that there's this moment later on where they're trying to figure out how to take out this cyber fleet in space that's heading towards earth. And I, I, I really like the, the fact that the climax to this episode or the resolution of the plot is a multi-pronged effort. Mm-hmm. It's not just take out the central node and everything is done. You've got the ground-based Cybermen you got to deal with. You've got the space-based cyber fleet you've got to deal with. You've got the cyber mothership you've got to deal with. It's sending out control signals that are controlling humans. You've got everything going wrong at once. And so they have to effectively divide in order to in order to take you've got the cyber bomb. You've got they have to divide to take care of all of these simultaneous threats, which makes the story bigger in scope and dramatic impact. And mm-hmm. the doctor can't do it all. So at one point he tells Zoe, you know, Zoe, you know how much I dislike computers, but actually I think right now that remarkable brain of yours would be a big help over over in dealing with mm-hmm. this problem. And Zoe goes to the missile control battery, which they're hoping to use to take out the cyber fleet. And there's way too many, or at least they tell us, the visuals don't change that much, but Mm -hmm. they tell us there's way more cyber spaceships coming than they anticipated. And they only have enough missiles to take out a small fraction of them. And Zoe thinks about it and says, no, you're wrong. You've got enough missiles to take out 90% or more of them. What you need to do is position your missiles in such a way that you can cause a chain reaction of explosions. So you blow up one ship, it blows up another, it blows up another, and so forth. And she's just adamant that this is possible. And the brigadier finally authorizes it and says, do whatever she says. She takes 30 seconds. She walks around to different stations collecting data in the missile control center. And she she tells them, here are the coordinates you need to uh, to to pull this off. They do. The cyber fleet is destroyed. They're all happy and celebrating and contemplating, um, uh, like, offering Zoe a job um, because <laughs> she's so good at this. And she says, oh, and this is where Zoe is different than Adric. Zoe is like, oh, it was nothing special. I mean, it, once you have the central concept, you just have to deal with a few minor easy things. And then she rattles off a list of mathematical things you have to deal yeah. with. But right. she's she's very humble about it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the contrast oh, a little and, earlier, and, and she gets to solve one of yep. the major threats in the episode. Mm-hmm. That's all right. on her. Yep, and, and it, it, it sort of contrasts a little earlier, where the 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 uh, brigadier needs photos of the Cybermen in the sewers in order to prove to you know to everyone that there's a threat. And so Isabel, the photographer, says, well, let me go. I'm a photographer. And, you know, oh, no, that wouldn't be possible. And so Isabel goes on this feminist rant about girls can do anything boys can do. And then she and Zoe race off to London and get get in trouble right away, proving the brigadier right that they shouldn't have been sent into the tunnels. I, 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 I love the comic awkwardness of of this scene because, you know, you have the brigadier pointing out this is no. I mean, he says, this is no job for a young lady. This is a job for one of my men. And frankly, he's right, not because she's a young lady, but because she's not a trained soldier. Exactly. And he's got a team of soldiers that yeah. who are trained to do dangerous infiltrations like this, and he's going to go get one of them. And she just gets in a snit about it. She turns to Zoe, gets Zoe in a snit about it. Oh, men. And then they turn to Jamie, who happens to be right there. And... 
and uh, and they accuse Jamie of uh, of thinking he's superior to them just because he's a man. And he's like, I never said anything like that. Of course, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's an 18th century he, Scotsman. He's, he's a guy from the 17th century. I mean, in a, in, of course he's going to think that. In, of course he's going to think that, at least in terms of going on the battlefield. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. I, I did love Zoe, though, where she's standing in front of the uh, in, International Electromatics Siri computer there. <laughs> yes. And basically just confounds it so that it... it it lets out the Kirk. magic smoke. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, she, she pulls a Kirk she, on it. <laughs> yeah, she, I, I thought the same thing. So when at the the electronics companies um, access points, like if you call it on the phone, you get a computer, and it doesn't appear to be a computer at first. It has a woman's voice that's indistinguishable from a normal person's. And so you don't at first realize you're talking to a computer. And the doctor gets very frustrated by voicemail. Well, okay, he he properly, this episode properly predicts that. Um, <laughs> Phone tree and voicemail. Yeah. Um, he didn't, unfortunately, know to just keep shouting agent, agent, agent over <laughs> the phone. Operator. Um, yeah. But then when you go to the plant, there's a computer at the gate. There's So it's effectively, a they have a computer as a receptionist. Mm -hmm. And it's the same woman's voice. And it it's very frustrating to deal with. And Zoe literally talks it to death because yep. she apparently knows Algol, which is an algorithmic computer language that I don't know why she, I mean, she's from over a century in the future. I don't know why she would know Algol, but she knows Algol and she starts talking to the computer and gets it to blow itself up Frit, fritz itself you know <laughs> yeah. and and she and isabel are just laughing over this and it's like um you just vandalized an extremely expensive piece of property and you're just laughing about it <laughs> and this yeah, is just like gonna come casual <laughs> funny. casual drive-by vandalism because they're not yeah. they're about to leave they don't walk past it to go into the plant they're like, oh, someone might get upset about that. We should leave. <laughs> okay, just teenage hoodlums. What's the world coming to? Teenage hoodlums from the future. <laughs> so let's talk quickly about the uh, the Cybermen in this one. This is their uh, first appearance since uh, the Wheel in Space, where Zoe joined the Doctor. Um, their next appearance will be. Uh, so this is 1968 when this came out. Won't be till 1975 with mm -hmm. the Revenge of the Cybermen. But this is a new form of the Cybermen in this era. Uh, this is their their mm -hmm. their a change in how they look from the last time. Uh, but they'll look like this until Earthshock, the Fifth Doctor story in 1982. So uh, so that's the the Cybermen in this one, and it's um it's interesting that I think this is their first appearance on Earth, right? This is yes. the first time they've yes. tried to invade Earth. What, another callback, or sh should we say the, a callback that New Who will make, is in Dark Water, or mm -hmm. either Dark or the or the the other one, or the 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 two part Death of there. Death in Heaven. Death in Heaven. They show up in front of St. Paul's in London, mm -hmm. and there's a, a very similar, almost the same shot of Cybermen well, coming that's, from St. That's Paul's. That's a famous. That's that's one of the famous scenes I talked about. That you know people, mm. you know, when they look at classic Who, that people remember is the Cybermen marching down the steps instead of in front of St. Paul's. Okay. It's one of it's one of two famous shots. So the yep. first, um, 
the first second Doctor Cyberman story was Tomb of the Cybermen. And Jamie was with the doctor for that one, along with Victoria. And in that one, we have this wall of like, it's like a honeycomb, you know, mm-hmm. of of Cybermen in chambers in a wall. And they have to rip their way th- out through the plastic to get out of yep. their cells. And that became famous. We've seen that already here on Secrets of Doctor Who in, in other uh in other Cybermen stories, including like ones from the sixth doctor's time, they frequently, it's even in, in dark water mm-hmm. and death in heaven where you have, they don't, they don't rip through it, but you have this image of the Cybermen in these chambers, you know, filled with the dark water. And, um, so they keep reusing that shot and they reuse it here because the Cybermen who were on Earth have been sent down in like cocoons and they have them, they prop up a cocoon vertically and then the Cybermen rips its way out of it. Right. Um, so they reuse that. And then this episode also gives us the um, uh, the shot of the Cybermen and St. Paul's Cathedral, right. and which gets reused in the future too. And it gives us the delightful... Patrick Troughton, Second Doctor, run and jump escape sequence where a Cyberman is shooting at the Second Doctor from behind. He's running down an alley towards the camera. He's zigzagging from side to side and occasionally leaps to avoid a a shot that he shouldn't be able to see with the eyes in the back of his head. And it's (laughs) it's kind of a very comic. It's very cartoony. Yeah, kind of. It is very much, you know, I was thinking like a Charlie Chaplin. You'd see him do leaps like this. You'd see, of course, Looney Tunes, you know, Yosemite Sam or somebody like that. Um, And that's again, that's yeah, that's very much the second iconic scene in this one. One thing I would point out, uh, you mentioned earlier that this was the first time the Cybermen been on Earth. That's not true. The 10th planet. Uh, The 10th planet is set in the future, though. That's in the 1990s. The first time we've seen the the first time we see it. Are they on Earth in that one? Yes, they're at Antarctica. Oh, right. They're on. Right. They're not on the tenth planet. They're on Earth. Okay. If, this is this is the first time in the Doctor Who timeline, but this is the second yeah. time we as people, yeah, yeah. we as viewers, yeah. have yeah. seen the Cybermen sure. on Earth. There's also an implied additional in, encounter in this because the Cybermen get photos from Tobias Vaughn of the Doctor and Jamie, and the Cybermen recognize them. And they say they've, and and Vaughn says, but isn't this this the first time you've been on Earth, and and or have you been on Earth before? And they say, no, we haven't. But the Doctor has been off of the Earth. Mm-hmm. We we've met him before on Planet fourteen, and Planet fourteen, it it, it would ha- have to be an adventure involving the Second Doctor and Jamie, mm-hmm. because they recognize both of them, and it's an unchronicled adventure because. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Tomb of the Cybermen. That's in the future. Right. Mm-hmm. So these Cybermen wouldn't know about it. It's not the 10th planet because that's in the future and it doesn't involve the second Doctor and Jamie. So there is another unchronicled Doctor, second Doctor adventure on Planet 14 where he meets the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And that's mentioned in a callback in mm-hmm. um, in the two-parter, the exodus or uh, of the cybermen whatever and the doctor falls um oh, at the end of the, the 12th doctor's time 12th doctor, right? yep. where he rattles off places that cybermen have developed or where he's fought them and he names planet 14 oh That's nice right. 
So there is a, a kind of interesting action sequence. They, they use a lot of, uh, in this uh, story, a lot of military assets. They have planes. Mm-hmm. They have jeeps. They also have a helicopter. And there's a well, couple things about the helicopter that were kind of interesting to me. Uh, one, the brigadier sends the helicopter uh, as a discreet way of following Vaughn's private car. And I'm like, is a helicopter flying low <laughs> really all that yeah. discreet? Probably not. <laughs> Uh, but they also use the helicopter to rescue Jamie and the doctor, Isabel mm-hmm. and Zoe, um, yep. uh, f- you know, from the rooftop. And this was in the end. I wish we'd seen this in the uh, live action, but we only got to see this in animation. Uh, but, you know, jo- uh, Jamie hanging from a rope ladder mm-hmm. um, and yep. the the worst shots in Star Wars, uh, these uh, uh, Vaughn's army, mm-hmm. his private army, mm-hmm. like shooting <laughs> at them. Well, they, they, even, they even called it out in the episode about how they could hit the you know, broadside of the barn, basically. Yeah, they can't hit the helicopter, they can't hit Jamie, they can't hit anything. Uh, or flying elephant, that's what it was. They couldn't yeah. hit a flying elephant, that's the phrase they used. They, yeah. they also give a little bit of cover because the doctor directs them to take the helicopter around like the north side of the building and says that will give them some cover. Right. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Now, it's um, interesting you talk about you know yeah. the, the military assets. The, unit HQ in this is literally in a cargo plane. It's in yeah. a military cargo craft mm-hmm. that, that apparently places. is a, yeah. that is apparently a TARDIS because you <laughs> not just you have the, this whole headquarters complex with a place where you can make tea and you know a little kitchen, but also you can like load cars in there and stuff like you know rain, yeah. Land Rovers <laughs> and stuff like that in and out of this <laughs> this plane. There is a prominent. Um, Thanks at the end of this to the Ministry of Defense for their assistance in uh, filming this. So, uh, well, I wonder too if a lot of the 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 military people were actual members of the army. You know, not just resources, Probably. but actually, so like some of the extras that were doing the yeah. the fighting and so on. Certainly, everyone around the plane, I would bet mm-hmm. uh, the exteriors of the plane. Um, so. Vaughn at one point falls for the sunk cost fallacy. He makes the claim that uh, I've I've gone too far. I've put too much of myself into this to to back out now. And it's like, no, no, Vaughn. If you're a smart businessman, you know there's a sunk cost fallacy. You got to cut your losses, <laughs> cut your losses, and move on. But, and he uh, does eventually when he gets forced <laughs> to. But yeah, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I wanted to notice. Speak. I wanted to note. Speaking of the like unloading scene. From the cargo plane where they're having at at the, you know, the tailgate of it, they're having vehicles Mm -hmm. come out of it. And, you know, there are at least the U.S. military has planes big enough for that. Oh, yeah. Um, But the um, as they're coming out, the doctor's driving a Jeep. He's he's going to go to a particular location and do something, and they have the weirdest happy music playing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't normally think very much about the soundtrack, but what is this weird peppy happy music as in the middle of this tense sequence where the doctor is going off to do something vitally important and we're unloading military cargo? Yeah, you know, it yeah. just doesn't seem the like the time. music. <laughs> yeah, it can sometimes be strange. I have yeah. to say, uh, they, they kinda, you, they you wonder. Call, yeah, they kind of called it out too in the uh, uh, closed captioning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually like in closed captioning, it's when the when it shows starts it says Doc Truth theme. Like one of them was catchy instrumental theme music. One was techno theme music. You know, they they did all these weird closed captioning, but yeah, they called that out where it's being yeah. unloaded. You know, peppy background music. <laughs> just really really weird so somebody had yeah. a little bit of fun with the closed captioning on that too but yeah also i wanted to comment on isabel and her recklessness 
as mm-hmm. a photographer because she runs off, you know, even though the brigadier has a, a team that he can call on to go get the mm-hmm. photograph. Now, I don't think you really need the photographs. You, you've already got eyewitnesses. So he can go to Geneva and say, I have eyewitnesses placing Cybermen in the sewers. Um, and there, that's a dangerous access point to the city. I need to go down there and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't believably really need the photographs. But supposing he does, he's got a team of trained men who can go get them. I don't care if they're trained women on the team. He's got a trained team he can get <laughs> to go get them. And Isabel runs off to London, taking Jamie and Zoe with her. She has Sergeant or Corporal Benton drive them. So she's wasting military resources. Why Benton goes with them, I don't know. Um, but he does. And then they they pick up her camera equipment. They go down in the sewers. A policeman tries to stop them. Benton gets orders to go down after them. Jimmy Turner and his team arrive. You've got all these people going down to rescue them. And unit soldiers in and the policemen and the unit soldiers uh, get killed. I mean, not all mm-hmm. of them, but some do. This is because of Isabel's recklessness. Yep. And yeah. and she at one point, um, uh, Jimmy Turner turns to her and says, because she's starting to she's talking to him about something. And he says, shut up and keep moving. I've already lost one man and I don't want to lose any of the others. Mm. And it's like, whoa, burn. Yeah, <laughs> you could you could nail that a little harder. It's like she all you need to add is two words or three words because of you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Although it doesn't seem to uh, to sink too too deeply uh, uh, for either of them because they end up together at the end. Um, mm, yeah. But speaking of Turner, I, I have to mention the actor who plays Turner must be must either be a giant <laughs> or. Yeah. Like uh, 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 Wendy Padbury, the the actress plays oh, Isabel, yeah. and she's G- very and, uh, short. Fraser Hines must be all short because he towers over all of them. It's kind of funny. Uh, so, uh, any other notes on this episode, Father Corey? I get a kick out of the the opening scene where the TARDIS when the TARDIS lands, and they're you know where are we at? Is it you know dangerous place? And there's a cow sitting there looking at the, right <laughs> yeah. at the camera. That's <laughs> such a such a great scene. I mean, and and you know, I mean, they obviously it was just we had this great tension. The tar is about to be blown up. Oh, now we're in a field with a cow. We're yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> there was you know speaking of outfits, there was a lot of a uh, lot of scenes of young girls in mini skirts climbing ladders, and they were pretty <laughs> yeah. explicit about that. Yeah. Um, I like the the fact that they showed some. Not just did they have the classic land Land Rovers that we'll see with Unit, they had some actual U.S. style Jeeps that they were using that would have been left over from the war. Yep. Um, yeah. It, that's what I'm trying to think is. Oh, speaking of that, speaking of the Jeeps, the the last Jeep at the end was a Montana Jeep because the license plate was 406 Jeep and Monta- Montana's area code is 406, so it was a Montana <laughs> Jeep. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Jimmy, how about you? Any other notes? Yeah. Um, so I like the, I like that they have Russia provide the missile to take out the cyber mothership and its transmitter. Um, you know, this was the Cold War. And I don't know if they were hinting that the Cold War might be over by the time this episode occurred. But they mentioned we, we could – we could go to America or to Russia for help because they've got the kind of spacecraft that can get that far out in space. Um, but, oh, the, it turns out the Russians have one that they were just about to shoot anyway. We could refit that. 
And so it was nice to have, you know, the Russians on the same team. Um, that was good. Uh, there, I, Patrick Troughton is typically charming in this. There's a scene where he and Jamie are escaping up an elevator shaft, and Jamie says, hey, what if they discover we're gone and turn on the elevator and send it up? And the second doctor says, we get squashed. <laughs> and uh, and as they're climbing up the elevator shaft to the roof, you can see very prominently on the side of the shaft it says Kilroy was here, yep. <laughs> and and that was that was put there by Fraser Hines, and oh, the funny. directors complained, um, and he said, "Don't British workmen do that all the stinking time." You yeah. know, as a joke, and it's like, well, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice, very good. And then, you know, of course, Fraser Hines is wearing a kilt, so you see and all that too. So you know, got to be careful. Oh, actually, oh, so I read something <laughs> interesting about that. Um, he he, you know, was concerned because he's got this helicopter ladder escape, mm-hmm. and and as the wind is wh- from the helicopter, because they're using a real helicopter, mm-hmm. as as the wind from the helicopter is whipping things around, he knew that it could whip the lady's skirts around, and he didn't want that happening with his kilt. So he did something that apparently the Queen of England had done to keep her skirt from ever blowing up in an undignified way, which was so lead weights into it. Oh, and so he had his he had the costumer so fishing sinkers yeah. into the kilt to keep it from blowing around in that way. Yeah. Um, oh, one other thing I like when they when they crash land, the doctor takes the one of the circuits that's damaged from the TARDIS is the visual stabilizer circuit. It's got a fault in it, and when he pulls it out, the TARDIS turns invisible. Mm. And so when they come back with the fixed circuits at the end of episode eight, they're having to like feel their way around <laughs> in this field for yep. uh, for where's the invisible TARDIS to get in. Yep. And yep. the doctor eventually leans on it with his elbow. Uh, <laughs> well, so the, all of that the, the, was cool. And they implied, too, that even the inside went invisible because they're bumping around trying to find the way out. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so I think that'll do it for this time for our discussion of The Invasion. Uh, As we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Doctor Who, including Erica H., Neil B., Selena C., Caroline E., and Terry F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Simon Yannick, who edited this episode for us. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Invasion? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can leave a comment and watch the Secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. That's where we make the show available as a video as well. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the third Doctor story, Frontier in Space. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, why are you so gullible, Packer? That is an actual line.